Welcome, Sadia. Beautiful, gorgeous, gorgeous goddess that I'm having on today. How are you? I am very well, thank you. And how are you? Are you in London? I am in London at the moment. I'm usually based in Dubai, but I've been in London for a couple of weeks and um, it's not easy. I'll have to be honest. The weather's bad. Once oh, you, okay. Yeah, the weather's bad, but it's okay. Well, London's London, so it's always, you know, there's always lots to do, so I can't complain. And where did you grow up? London. Yeah, I was born and raised in London. So I grew up in London. My ethnicity is Pakistan. But I so I come from Pakistan, but I grew up in London. And um, just recently, a couple of years ago, moved to Dubai and started working out there. Have you been to Dubai? I have not yet been to Dubai, but it's to. definitely on my list. You have to. It's essential. It's beautiful. If you get a chance, you have to go. Absolutely. I, I would love to go. It's amazing to see whenever, you know, look at those pictures of what Dubai was like in even like 1980s yeah. and what Dubai is like now. It's just amazing what human beings can do in such a short period of time. It just shows you what's capable if you do put enough money and manpower into it. Anything's capable. Anything. You can achieve anything, I guess. Yes, yeah. I agree with you. And Ooh. it seems like they're very smart about how they do things, economically speaking. And it's just, just so safe as well. Like as a woman, it's so unbelievably safe. Um, service is fantastic. The weather's great. It's very chaotic in a lot of other ways. Uh, in terms of lifestyle, it can be quite chaotic. It's a lot of it's like Vegas. But in terms of the actual quality of life, it's wonderful. Yeah. Is it too hot there? Or... Only in the summer, but that's only three months of bad weather where it's too hot. The rest of the year is fantastic. Like, I don't know, are you a summer person? I'm definitely a summer person. Danielle. But more tropical and humid weather. Oh, I okay. can. This yeah. one's a little bit more like oven-y kind of hot, but it's still beautiful. It's still nice. It's nice to wake up and just have sun. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, vitamin D sufficiency at all oh, times. <laughs> I love that. Well, I'll definitely, I'll have to come visit you. I would of absolutely course. love to. Yes, we'll have to do this out there. Your content actually works really well for Dubai. You know, when you do all your funny skits, I actually thought you were based in Dubai because it's very in line with like Dubai kind of culture. So I actually thought you were from there, but you're from Canada, right? I'm based in Canada. Yes, I've been living in Canada for the past 10 and a half years. Amazing. The complete opposite. Like I love warm weather and summertime and heat and Canada's yeah. like nine months out of the year. It's it's an exaggeration. Not everywhere it's nine months of the year, but it certainly feels that way. You're yeah. constantly in <laughs> like London. cold. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. And what's your background? You teach psychology through your social media. Yeah, How did that I, come about? Basically, I am a psychology teacher by like um, by trade. It's what I've been doing. I taught psychology for about 10 years in both London and Dubai. And then during lockdown, I kind of converted into doing more therapy and coaching sessions. But I still was a teacher for many, many years. I only stopped teaching a couple of months ago. So I was a psychology teacher. And um, being a, from a psychology background, I thought like, you know, everybody kind of knows some of these things, some of the things I would teach the kids or some of the things I would say to my colleagues I assumed everybody knew like about relationships and childhood and so and nobody seemed to be aware of this and I found it quite essential information so I thought I could just teach what I normally do teach to the general public and see how it goes from there and uh, it managed to kind of establish something online from that yeah absolutely your content is very educational and i think especially in this day and age especially in the western world very mm -hmm. necessary because you kind of touch on subjects that are 
such a pain point for many. Yeah. And is your main focus then relationships and families or? I, yeah, well, I, I actually specialize in trauma and um, it actually, I, that's where I actually specialize. But the thing is, uh, social media loves relationships and social yes. media loves talking about men and women. And so because of that, I end up talking a lot about relationships, but my actual specialism is childhood and development and how trauma can affect later uh, mental health issues. So, but I use it a lot to explain relationship and relationship traumas and relationship problems and just general like advice in terms of relationships but only because social media loves it the most i personally think it's really important just to understand trauma in general but social media loves relationships it seems to be the topic of conversation at all times especially when it's anything pitting men against women that seems to go viral quite quickly on uh, tiktok do you find that as well a hundred percent. It's so bad, isn't it? When you say something educational, it won't get that many views, but you say something triggering and it will go viral. So unfortunately, that's kind of the the essence of social media. Yes, a hundred percent. I find whenever I post anything related to, for example, you know, man paying for a bill at a restaurant yeah. and a woman mm -hmm. not, not, not paying for the bill or, you know, those kinds of things. Yeah. Instantly the video goes viral. I know. And it's and, the same, isn't it? That they love it when you are divisive. It's great. I mean, it's, it's interesting content. It leads to engagement, but, um, because my goal is actually to try and help people build more healthy relationships. It's maybe not ideal for that, but it is what it is. You've got to play the game at some point. Yeah. Well, and in the meantime, you know, when people notice you, they start to watch your other videos that are, you know, maybe less contentious and less yeah. controversial, but they're educational. So they, yeah. you, you do provide value. Oh, um, thank you. Either way. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> thank you. How much does trauma affect relationships later in life, romantic relationships? Um, if it goes on healed almost entirely um i think people are so uh what they'll say is statements like i keep attracting this type of person or i always end up with this type of person almost like it's not their fault but the reality is it's not your fault but it is our uh, unconscious decision making so we might actually seek out and be comfortable with people that are going to hurt us and that's usually because of childhood if you feel like you have a continuous pattern of meeting men that cheat on you or women that use you or whatever it is whatever your patterns are take a minute to understand it and realize where it comes from because it's no accident that patterns keep repeating themselves and it's no accident that maybe you always get jealous in relationships or maybe you always get distant in relationships none of these are accidents they're literally a result of your trauma and if it goes unresolved you'll find that relationships become a catalog of all the same negative experiences but if it goes checked you can actually transform that into healthy connections which is what we should all be aiming for yeah mm. does it all then come from childhood trauma mostly I would, people say no, people say it's also like your life experiences as well. But what I feel is that childhood sets you, sets the tone, and then you can meet a terrible ex that also exaggerates those existing traumas. But I would say, say for example, if I grew up in an abusive home, chances are when I meet an abusive man, the average person who hasn't had that experience would immediately let go of that man and wouldn't even entertain that situation. But when you come from abusive homes, you see that as normal and you accept more than you should. And then that person reignites your trauma. And then the next person reignites your trauma. And you think it's an ex, but it's usually coming more from something, a baseline from childhood. 
That's so interesting, hey? Yeah. If you dig yeah. deep into childhood, you can almost always find answers to the problems. Yeah, you can, and you can, always, and you can almost explain your exes. If you've got terrible cheating exes, you can almost explain that from childhood as well. So everything kind of starts from there. And it doesn't have to be parents. It can be aunt, uncle, grandparent, friends being bullied. Anything that kind of sets the tone of, or creates a core belief of how you view yourself will then trickle into relationships. So interesting. Mm -hmm. I've heard somewhere that often people basically seek almost like comfort. So some kind of trauma and some kind of bad experience that they had in childhood, if they almost recreate it again in adult life, it's yeah. in a very messed up way, their comfort, because that's the only thing that they know. Yeah. So for them to actually deviate from that and find someone who, you know, treats them nicely is stepping out of their comfort zone. Exactly that. What happens is you seek what's familiar, not what you need. And some people are just familiar and comfortable in chaos. When they're with a partner who's actually not triggering them, not making them feel jealous, not making them feel uh, alert, not making them feel vulnerable, uh, anxious, they almost think that this is too boring. This is this. I must not be in love. They need to feel passion. They need to feel anger. They need to feel hostility in order to label that as love. And that's because that's what they were demonstrated growing up. The household was hostile. And, uh, and you meet people who are in healthy relationships. And what healthy relationships look like is they're very predictable and stable and almost boring, but in a healthy, they're monotonous. And that's what healthy relationships look like. But if you come from a chaotic background, you would not even come close to that situation because you would see it as empty, boring, unfulfilling, and you would leave that person on the side to chase somebody who's going to make you feel almost punished the way you did in your childhood. Yeah. I feel yeah. like if, you know, if, if I hadn't been that person, we sure all know somebody who, yeah. you know, even listening to this, some of our listeners will be like, oh my God, I totally know a person who's but, definitely experiencing yeah, something like that, I you know? Be like that. I've got elements of that. And I think this is a um, misconception people think is when you know it, you can cure it. But it's not like that. Like I, I have tendencies, I'll get jealous or I'll get angry and I'll fear abandonment really quickly and easily and sensitively. And I have to kind of, uh, 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 kind of process my own therapy on myself to stop me from sabotaging but it's, it's something that is in most people you can you're incredibly gifted and lucky if you can come out of childhood unscathed because parents don't know how to parent no one teaches them so mm -hmm. you're incredibly gifted if you do manage that but you're you're rare and majority of people have some kind of scars yeah for mm -hmm. sure there's no manual that teaches you how to be a good parent. Yeah, and they're doing the best they can. Most parents are doing the best they can. They don't realize things are traumatic. So, for example, like in my culture, it's very normal to criticize and be like, oh, you've gained weight, you've lost weight, you look terrible, you know, and there's no filter. And in no way do they think they're traumatizing you. They just think that they're giving you healthy like, criticism. But it can actually lead to low self-esteem and, you know, have their core belief that you're not good enough. But they don't realize that and they don't mean it in that way so you always yeah. have to lead with forgiveness but also change like break the cycle yeah for sure for yeah. sure mm -hmm. I, I, it's it's my culture is very blunt like people oh. here have no filter and they just <laughs> say whatever's on their mind no matter to who it's, it's yeah. very similar you know you have to yeah. kind of analyze and be and just think about it in a way that you know they meant well yeah. my aunt or my mom or my dad they just meant well they they didn't actually mean to yeah make me feel a certain way yeah of course that is so interesting. And when it comes to 
healthy relationships. Would you say, does it happen often when, for example, someone who comes out of an abusive, you know, family or mm -hmm. something not so pleasant was happening in the childhood, they mm -hmm. go the opposite direction. So instead of repeating that same pattern, they somehow grow up, even though without needing any actual help from a professional, they go into a whole other direction and yeah. right away find someone who and actually treats them well. Yeah, that can definitely happen. And you see that a lot with men that grew up without fathers. One of the things that they'll do is become brilliant fathers. They'll really want to compensate for that, uh, for, you know, losing their father and not having that figure in their life. So they'll become brilliant fathers, but almost overcompensate, give so much to their children, so much time, but they'll still have elements of self-sabotaging. And what that might look like is they're a great father, do all of these things, but they might cheat on their partner until eventually the relationship breaks down or they might um you know uh, argue a lot or do something that some element of self-sabotaging so they do they might fix that particular symptom where they're like okay my father left me i'm going to make sure i'm a great father but you need modeling to be a great husband and those types of things if it's not modeled for you it becomes difficult and the biggest blessing you can have is if your first relationship ends up being a blessing where that person models what healthy relationships looks like and brings you into their home and shows you that but again that becomes quite difficult because people with healthy backgrounds tend to find other people with healthy backgrounds they almost match each other because they speak the same healthy language and people from toxic backgrounds almost by nature empathize and click with other people from unhealthy backgrounds and it can lead to that dynamic mm. yeah. how do you recognize self-sabotage if for example, if I'm doing something and I yeah. don't even realize that I'm doing it, what can I do to analyze my actions so that I can better understand if I'm sabotaging myself? Right. Self-sabotage, essentially, it comes from a place of fear. What self-sabotage is, is that you have this intense fear that whatever blessing you're experiencing at the moment, it's going to go at some point. It's going to go and it's going to hurt you. So the best thing you can do is cause yourself predictable pain by creating circumstances that lead or to lead to the breakdown of that relationship or assuming that this tiny issue is a huge issue run away now before they hurt you even more and what that might look like is picking fights picking fights over small things um it might also look like um finding flaws in your partner focusing on the flaws and uh, or it might look like um not appreciating all the good that they do for and any reminder of a bad behavior you keep bringing it up and essentially what you try and do is you create distance between you and your partner instead of creating connection you're trying to create distance whether that's through fighting whether that's through talking to other people whether that's through late replying late and playing these games these are all self-sabotaging and how you recognize it is just ask yourself is what you're doing right now actually going to make you happy mm. the answer is no then you're self-sabotaging so for example if i think oh i'm going to reply really late today and I'm not going to even pick up his calls. I'm just going to, you know, ignore him. Does that actually make you happy? Does that make your relationship better? If the answer is no, it's self-sabotaging. If the answer is yes, fine, you can do that. But it, chances are it won't make you any happier. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Ouch. It's... <laughs> And I love how you mentioned fear because it almost applies not even just to relationships. It applies to everything in life, right? When you yeah. are about to jump on a really exciting opportunity of some sort and yeah. you right away 
almost start feeling like you don't deserve it. I'm sure no. all of us have experienced it in all areas. People do it with money. People do it a lot with money. They'll make a lot of money and blow it. Or they'll make a lot of money or randomly waste it. And Or they'll, even small things, drive really fast and collect a lot of fines or things that are so avoidable and totally mm. free to avoid. But they sabotage money because there's a part of them that doesn't, want to uh, or doesn't feel comfortable uh, without some kind of monetary worry because that's maybe how they grew up so they need some element of worry regarding money because being completely independent of financial woes feels weird so it's people do it with all sorts of things in life it's more prominent in relationships but that's just a symptom of, of actual self-sabotage it can manifest in lots of ways Ooh, the money one is so interesting. Yeah. I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna have to have you back on just to talk about like other <laughs> stuff because there's so, yeah. yeah, there's just like so money. many things that I'm like, I wanna dive into that so deep. Yeah, I do it a lot with money. I do it a lot with money. It's like um I will collect a lot of fines, I'll drive particularly fast when I don't mean to. I I'll deliberately like not be as careful as I should, so I'll scratch a new car or whatever it is. And it's that carelessness for possessions that is almost I, and I used to think it made me, oh, I must not be a materialistic person and I'm so great. But really it's a case of you don't believe you deserve nice things. And and so you almost sabotage what you have. And that's really what it stems from. For sure. Yeah. That deservability of not believing that you deserve nice things. It's like, when you say that, I'm like getting goosebumps because we've all experienced it, right? Mm -hmm. And to get to that new level of believing that you deserve something better, something nicer is a, pros a process, a process yeah. that you need to like walk yourself through. You need to make yourself really believe that okay this is for me i can do this and yeah. i deserve this otherwise and, it just you feel uncomfortable and, yeah and and it's it's at work it's with relations when you meet someone loving and kind you almost get suspicious because you're like this does this doesn't feel right you must be up to something and then you look for problems and that's where the self-sabotaging comes in so it's a real disease um self-sabotage because you'll get to a certain age and you would have uh, re realize that you've broken a lot of connections for no real reason and it's um it's heartbreaking it's it's not a it's, it's something that we should definitely check into because it is quite heartbreaking when you reflect on it yeah absolutely i love that wow self-sabotage oh we can we can keep talking and talking about it <laughs> I wanted to chat with you about something that I saw in your one of your videos, mm -hmm. vulnerability versus overly being overly emotional for yeah. men. Yeah. And how women respond to vulnerability and what that looks like versus being overly emotional for a man yeah. and how that affects relationships with women. Yeah, I think you know what it is. I I'm constantly bombarded in my feed because of like what I do. My for you page is very much bombarded with this type of information, and there's a lot of talk about men never be vulnerable with your woman. She's going to take advantage. She's going to manipulate you, and she's going to insult you. And without vulnerability, there's no connection. If you if I don't say anything to you in this conversation, I give nothing away about me. You learn nothing about me. I learn nothing about you, and we are still strangers at the end of this conversation. But by me being vulnerable and saying, oh, I self-sabotage, you be like, me too. And immediately we're connected. And so telling men that you can never be vulnerable with women is you are now placing men at such a disadvantage because they now have no one that truly understands them and they can connect to because men don't talk to other men in an open way either. So if they're not doing it with their partner, they're not doing it with anybody. The thing that women do disrespect and do kind of uh, cross the line with and start stop respecting it is when a man is too emotional. 
and I know it sounds really like um, you know a bit sexist but a woman is not designed to be with an emotional man and what I mean by emotional vulnerable is telling me what's going on in your life telling me what's upsetting you telling me what you're feeling insecure about at this moment in time emotional is having an a completely disproportionate reaction to the event so for example they get a scratch on their car and they're moody the whole day and they're so irritable and it's just really disproportionate or if they see that you, you know somebody messaged you and you didn't even respond to that message and they get into a rage about it it's just too emotional we're designed to be emotional but we're also designed to be nurturing so you be vulnerable we nurture you but you be emotional we're going to be emotional and it's just two children having a tantrum at the end of it so we what emotional means is you can't govern your emotions you'll have an overreaction to the situation and you don't know how to calm yourself down vulnerable simply means being open and seeking connection with your partner yeah okay wow <laughs> I love that. There's there's a very very big difference, isn't there? Yeah. And that doesn't mean men are too emotional. Does it make you less attracted to them? It does. It absolutely does. Yeah, yes, absolutely. And there's a difference also between you know showing emotion, and I think you. I, I'm from what I am understanding from you, you're not meaning like okay, men are not allowed to express any emotions whatsoever. It's just that when it's a prolonged feeling of panic, anger, or I don't know, constant crying. If you shed a tear now and then from something, that's 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 yeah, fine, that's right? That's fine, yeah. And but it's when it's a prolonged to the situation and it's too yeah. long, they can't govern it. They've lost control of it. Like yeah. I can cry right now and I'll know, okay, that's enough. Let me stop. Yeah. But when you can't control it, his emotions control him, it becomes feminine. But vulnerable is powerful. Yeah. And I think and correct me if if you think differently here, but I feel like when a man becomes more feminine, the woman then becomes more masculine with, with him. You yeah. feel like a sense of, okay, well then I have to take care of the situation. I and have to boss be, up. Yeah. And, yeah. This, uh, and do you know what it is? Uh, women, no matter how soft they are, uh, a feminine man is never, is never ideal. You can be with a feminine man, there's nothing wrong with it, but it's just not what her ideal is. And it will bring out the masculine in her. Or what will happen is she will be attracted to masculinity in other men. And you don't want that. When you're mm. with a masculine man, other men become less appealing. Just like when you're with a feminine woman, other women become less appealing. But when you're with a feminine man, other men still have appeal. And that's why it's a little bit of a dangerous road to go down for men. Do most of us women look for providers in men subconsciously? Uh, I think one thing that most women, even the ones that claim that they don't, they are speaking without having children. It, we are designed for providers because we have children. When you have a child and when you go through labor, the last thing on this planet you're thinking of is I can't wait to get back to work. Your body doesn't, doesn't do it. Your body won't listen to you in that moment. Even if you wanted to get back to work and you're so passionate and you're a CEO, when you give birth and you have that baby, the last thing you can think about is work. And because that's our nature, whether you have children or not is still in our biology you are designed to be with somebody who can support you in those moments and when a man isn't your provider uh, you might not feel it yet and you might be like I'm all for 50 50 it's not a problem I always say just wait 
just wait till mm. you have children. Everything else in life will feel like you were a pastime. And all you need is provision and protection because you now have a different purpose. And that's when you realize. If you haven't realized yet, that's when you will realize. Yeah, I feel that. I think I've realized that. Oh, I realized that. <laughs> yeah. I Before having know. kids, I was like, hmm. No, it's just because I, I'm feminine. So I do like to be yeah. the one that does the cooking and the cleaning and nurturing. Um, I, I always feel like it's my role in the house, but outside of the house, that is the man's role. And maybe because that's how I was raised and so on and so forth. But I see no burden in looking after my man and like picking up after him and cleaning and cooking. I, it doesn't feel like a burden to me. It feels like tapping into my nature. So I find it strange when men see it as a burden providing for their woman, because I don't see it as a burden for looking after you why do you feel like it's a burden it feels like they haven't tapped into their masculinity and that's why uh, i always encourage both men and women to tap into looking after each other but in different ways yeah is it possible that some women just have that need for being a little bit more authoritative and being on the provider end of things in a relationship absolutely again i would say it's a trauma response when you as a woman have become so hyper independent and so strong and so um like uh, self-sufficient it's not a flex it's actually a response of being let down many many times whether that's in the house or through your next boyfriend or whatever it is and we almost brag about this but the reality is when i see somebody hyper independent i've been there at times as well my hyper independence only came from a trauma response so i can't rely on anyone no one's there for me i'm going to do it all by myself and i'm going to be a boss about it but really what i'm trying to say is actually i've got no one to depend on and that's not a codependency is a beautiful thing it's not a, it's seen as a swear word in this day and age but it's a beautiful thing there's nothing more beautiful than feeling like okay if my car breaks down i can call someone or if i need the help with my boxes i can call someone that's a beautiful experience but being like, i'm gonna fix everything i'm gonna do that I, that's a shame that you feel that way something's gone wrong and i think it's a trauma response i don't think it's natural i think it's a natural reaction to poor experiences Oh, I feel that. <laughs> I feel that because I definitely had that as well. Um, yeah. And it took me a long time to just like shake it off. Yeah. Because my hyper independency came from, I mean, as the way I analyze it, maybe if you dig yeah. even deeper, mm-hmm. there's some other experiences I've triggered it. But yeah. I moved to Canada when I was very, very young and I didn't yeah. have anyone there. And I had this like sense, okay, I need to do everything by myself. I need to, you know, just make my own living. I don't want to depend on anyone. I can't depend on anyone. And then not too long ago, to be honest, just, you know, maybe a few years ago, I was like, when I was already with my husband, he was my boyfriend at the time. I was like, Whoa, wait a minute. Why am I like that? I need to, and it projects onto him too, because in a way then I'm showing him that I don't trust him to, you know, contribute into this relationship and be, be the provider kind of thing. You know what I mean? So it's, definitely for me it was definitely yeah they like feeling needed they like that you you know you lessen some of your burdens by through having the relationship with him and just vice versa it's a beautiful thing when you can ring someone and be like can you do this i can't do this without you and they'll say of course that's a beautiful experience rather than i'm going to do everything myself and then be tired exhausted and resentful at the end of the day it's it's not fun being hyper independent yeah there's yeah. no harmony in that relationship no, there's no codependency there's no syncrasy and in order for relations to work there needs to be an element of that that, that there needs to be otherwise what's the point of it you're like 
roommates then you need some element of dependency and it's not a bad thing it's a beautiful beautiful thing to be dependent on one another it's how human beings are designed a newborn baby can't exist without being dependent on its mother and that dependency is human nature so being dependent on your husband and then being dependent on you is almost seen as a swear word in this day and age whereas it's for me it's a beautiful experience Thanks so much for listening to part one of my interview with Sadia Khan and stay tuned for part two coming soon. Stay blessed, my friends.